This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Everybody and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. I'm Rose Kilior, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Sprattling. If you're like, wow, they're back on my screen already. Yes, you are correct. Three Tunnel Visions in one week. It's just that type of week. we got to talk about USC's Washington State game, first road game. Uh, USC's actually playing a game, if you forgot, besides the other news that's happening today uh, or this week. We'll talk about Dante Williams. We got to hear from USC's interim head coach this week, and we got to watch his first couple practices leading the Trojans, so we'll share what we saw there. And we've had a Tunnel Vision rule, I believe, for a couple years. No coaching candidate talk until there is an opening. Well, folks... There is an opening, so coaching candidates could be possibly discussed tonight. And you know where we can discuss them wherever you're watching, Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. Put your comments, questions, or concerns in there. We'll try to answer them as best as we can. Also, you can tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision. I'll put your tweet up on the screen. You don't have to include our Twitter handles. That just blocks up the, the question you have, so don't worry about that. You can also call us, 5124-TUNNEL. The line is open, and our intern, Micah, is standing by to hear from you guys. Just a reminder... Questions. Questions are always good. We know you guys love to rant and talk, but questions are good for Tunnel Vision. And hit the like button on our, hit all the these like stuff. Hit the like button, subscribe, all that good stuff. We love uh, hearing from you guys and getting your interaction. But guys, like I said, it's been a wild week uh, for USC. Clay Hilton fired on Monday. Dante Williams takes over as interim head coach. They're heading up to Pullman to go play Washington State. I guess, what are you expecting on Saturday, guys? Yeah, well, first off, let yes. everyone know, it was a crazy week. Yes. We're, like, all sleep-deprived. We've been yes. doing a lot of work. Uh, <laughs> the site is going crazy, so make sure you go to uscfootball.com. The hotboard, Gerard made an awesome 2.0 hotboard. Looks really cool, really slick. Uh, lots of good candidates and information up there. The Peristyle is going off. That's our premium message board. So many insiders posting information. So many good posts. A lot of insight. And if you're not a member, you should be a VIP member. If not, 60% off right now. We're doing a sale. It's going to end in a day or so. So make sure you jump in there. If you're not signed up, sign up right now. It's the best time to do it. And there's a ton of information up on the site. So make sure you guys check it out. Very nice. But yeah. like I said, uh, the week of practice under Dante Williams, I was talking to Shotgun about this. It was kind of surreal. We've seen Clay Helton so much. And he wasn't there for the first time. And I believe, what do you say, Ryan? I mean, 2009, like, like, I mean, he might have missed a practice or two, but like, I don't remember not seeing him out there. Like every day we would go out there for the last 12 years and Clay Helton would be there either as the quarterback coach, the offensive coordinator, 
the interim head coach, uh, you know, the head coach, we've seen Clay Helton there for a long time. To go out on Tuesday and not see him was something very different. I mean, even, you know, just everything's different. Like you, you know, our Facebook page still has a picture, you know, there's Clay Helton on there. Like my my reminder this morning was we have a Zoom call, Clay Helton Zoom call at 8 a.m. Well, no, it's the Dante Williams Zoom call now. Uh, this is it's been I'm obviously been a long time coming. USC fans have wanted to see this happen, but it's going to be it's, that's why this game is so strange because the transition is happening so quickly. Um, you know, even for us, if we're just covering the team, it's like, whoa, this is all very different, like yeah. right away. Yeah. Shotgun, your thoughts from the week? Yeah, I mean, different uh, the practices were pretty much the same, but uh, I think some things are being emphasized differently. Um, you know, just accountability, it seems like the biggest thing. It was brought up multiple times by Dante Williams in his initial, in his Trojans Live interview, in his first talk with us. Um, I think that's a big thing. And the fact that we've heard some kind of issues in the locker room and stuff uh, that would warrant accountability needing to be more a, a, of a, a facet of this team to potentially turn things around, which gives me a little bit of confidence that they can actually turn things around. I don't think that this this team is going to spiral out of control. I think Dante Williams has a good grasp on everyone around the team, so I think that there's a good chance. And from the practices, it looked like everyone bounced back from the news because that could be completely demoralizing. Yes. Uh, and it was to a lot of the players, you know, because Clay Helton's the one that gave them the opportunity to come to USC and, you know, they all, you know, care for him as a person. And I think that it was very demoralizing. And Todd Orlando pointed out, he said, on Monday, it wasn't really about football. We, you know, we talked a lot with the players. It was more about talking yeah. than it was about, you know, going out and trying to, you know, go through their walkthrough practice and stuff that they do on Monday. So, I think it's been kind of interesting to see that the players have kind of bounced back and, you know, seem like they're ready to go on that trip up to up to Pullman, which it has been a very challenging one for USC throughout the years. It's, yeah. just, it's just a place where USC has not traditionally played up to their ability very often, whether it be Reggie in the fog and having to save them there or, you know, USC going up there uh, on that Friday night game. Losing three offensive linemen. Losing three offensive linemen and just you know kind of falling apart in that game, uh, and then Washington State storming the field. So yeah. you know it's been a challenging place to play, but I'm curious to see how they come out and if they do, uh, if they come out and look like they are rallied together, that's going to mean a lot to me. Yeah, because I think what they should have done, whether there was a coaching change or not, was you see Saturday, you, Sunday, you go into the meeting rooms and say "us against the world" type of mentality. No one believes in us. Us against the world. And they got to come together, have that camaraderie. So we'll see if that accountability helps helps push that together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, coming out of practice or coming out of the tunnel, we saw two padded practices back-to-back. -back. That's something new from Dante Williams. Ryan, I know you've been a big uh, full pad watcher. What was your takeaway from that development? Yeah, we talked about this on – we did a podcast just a couple hours ago, it seems yeah, like. Yeah, I um, can't speak anymore. <laughs> you know, when you have pretty poor leadership – it's sometimes when the new leader comes in, there's a lot of low hanging fruit, things you can fix. If you're like the CEO of a company and the last CEO was like running things into the ground and you can walk in and go, oh, I could fix this. I could fix this. I could fix that. You make things a lot better pretty quickly. Like Mike Bone comes in and there was a lot of stuff that the USC, you know, that Pat Hayden and Lin Swan just really screwed up. He could come in and fix things right away. And you're like, oh, wow, that's all the singles that kind of we were talking about. This is one of those things where how long have people been clamoring about soft practices and they don't go in pads and, you know, full pads enough? 
And that's one of those things where it's like Clay Helton one time could go, you know what? We were like, we went in full pads on a Wednesday. Like they never do that, you know? And what does Dante Williams do the very first Wednesday practice? Just the guys are out in full pads. And we've talked about that before. Just you open your, your the guys are like doing the same thing over and over again. You open your locker and there's like full pads. You're like, oh, so it's going to be a little different today. Like it's just something to get the players' attention. They didn't tackle the ground a whole bunch. I don't, we didn't get to watch really. So on Wednesday, but um, they went full pads. I think that's great. Like just doing something a little bit different, mixing it up, showing the players like, hey, this isn't going to be every Wednesday. We do this. It's like something was different. We're trying to change something. So we mixed it up a little bit. You guys sucked last week. <laughs> We're going to change something. That's, yes. that's, that's been missing for so long. Yes. Like when you don't play well, you don't go, well, let's just continue with our routine. This is what we do. And, you know, we'll look towards the end of the season. I can't wait to see where this team is at the end of the season. No, you go, we got to win tomorrow. This yeah. was not acceptable. We got to fix things. And you do that by making changes, not doing the same thing over and over, getting to a routine, and just everything becomes, you know, laissez faire. It's just, this is what we do on a Tuesday. This is what we do on a Wednesday. No. We're going to switch this up because you guys sucked the other day. Yeah. So let's go make some changes. And the coaches probably, and they, you know, multiple coaches said we suck too, you know, yeah. as coaching staff. You know, they didn't make the adjustments, didn't, you know, weren't prepared for some things. They didn't make plays though. And that was the biggest thing. You know, Graham Harrell, a little bit after the game, kind of threw the players under the bus, but they didn't make enough plays on both sides of the ball. And they should have been able to make a lot more against that Stanford team. Uh, regardless of what David Shaw says, I don't, I don't know if you guys caught them. I did. Someone you, you read it to me, Chuck, and so I did. Catch I didn't. It. I didn't get someone commented Ke- about it. Keely still didn't get. It. I read it to her, and she was still on the pain engine. But yeah, I someone was... commented about it. But uh, which is why I wanted to bring it up in part and fire me up once more. <laughs> but David Shaw spent the first like two and a half minutes of his press conference on on Tuesday talking about Clay Helton, which. Okay, that's fine, and, close. and you know, and I understand that. And you, and you know, Lane Kiffin was asked about it. Ed Orgeron was ba- asked about it. Several James Franklin was asked about the U.S. There was a lot of coaches asked about the USC job. David Shaw opened up on his own, but he also it, it was quite a David Shaw comment where it was like, you know, lifting someone up while also you know shiving them in the in the ribs at the same time. <laughs> he he was like, he's like, I don't understand, like. It, Losing to Stanford is not a big deal. Basically, he's like, "This isn't this isn't the 2000s. This isn't the, you know the 1970s." He's like, "We win. You know, we have a winning record against every you know all the schools except for uh, I think Oregon and Washington or something like that." He's, he's like, "You know, people that are upset about USC losing to Stanford. Like, you got to get over it. This is different times. It's like this Stanford team. It isn't no this Stanford team that I just saw two weeks ago go to Texas and get destroyed by Kansas State." Just calm down, David Shaw. If you if you win seven or eight games in a row, then maybe we'll we'll look back and say, okay, well maybe they lost to a you know just a better team than them, but that David, wasn't the case. David Shaw doesn't want him gone. He gave him his first ass beating <laughs> in the very first game he played True. against him, and then the last game, like Clay Hilton's first game as permanent head coach and last game were against David Shaw, and and both were beatdowns. And what was there were some similar plays too. Yeah, you know, the angle route. <laughs> you know, Christian McCaffrey beat uh, Buddha Tucker, uh, and then the USC play that they tried to run under center where they you know did a. Uh, um, uh, uh, a pitch out to the outside that was from a few years before that too. So there was kind of a there was a couple throwback plays in the game as well. Yeah. Well, since we're on the topic of Stanford, Chuck and you looked at we did film study together. You looked at the defensive grades, broke everything down. What went wrong? Why did that happen? I know Todd Orlando was just like it started out strange with uh, Parker Lewis getting ejected, and it kind of rolled from there. Yeah, Todd Orlando's comment was that. You know, pretty much anything that could go wrong did go wrong. Um, I just think that part of it was they got beat one on one 
that was the biggest thing. They got beat up front sometimes, one-on-one in the trenches. You know, on the 87-yard run, a guy misses a gap. that you, The lineman got over there and reached him. Man, I got a little bit of holding, but he won that one-on-one matchup. All those jump balls to the wide receivers, one-on-one matchups. USC, and that that was what's really scary about that game. If you're looking at it from an administration standpoint, maybe that uh, you know leads to the, the move. But it wasn't that they got out schemed and it was completely different. It's just they were beating them one on one. And those, you know, Bryson Tremaine, who had a really good game and a touchdown, had a partial block punt. He's a former walk on mm. that was supposed to go to an Ivy League school and worked his way up and has become a starter as an older player. But you got five star cornerbacks that should be able to, to shut down a former walk on, and they weren't able to do that. Yeah. Well, we, <clears throat> excuse me, we actually have a full caller key, so I'm going to jump into that now. Okay. Um, first one is our buddy Dave from Iowa. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, Tunnel Vision. Dave from Iowa once again. First off, I kind of want to hit the brakes on calling Shotgun Mr. Baseball since he didn't get a Moneyball reference. You know, the whole thing about, you know, there are rich teams, poor teams, 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. That's what I was trying to get out of you guys, but it clearly a fail since Mr. Baseball didn't get the message. But for Ryan, um, my question is, you know, with the Stanford blowout uh, this year and the Iowa blowout and the Holiday Bowl, unfortunately, you know, what, what does this say about US, USC in terms of t- talent? Talent isn't good enough reason to back to, to back their story up. Clearly, those those time, those two games have proven that de- development. That's what it's all about. So do you think Dante Williams, like Dante Williams, or like, sorry, but like, you know, the future head coach can develop the next, these guys to become great? Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. um, uh, Our friend Bruce Feldman tweeted out something today that USC, it surprised him when you look at the active rosters in the NFL, USC didn't, wasn't in the top 20 as far as the number of players that are on active rosters. But if you go back 10 years, which basically like, um, you know, the recruiting classes from that, that would be on these NFL active rosters, the majority of them, of those 10 years, I think four of them, USC was in the top four for recruiting classes and they were top 10 or like the other, the other five or something. There's like one, they weren't something like that was, it was something along those lines. And yeah, so the talent was coming in, but obviously not being developed and guys like Bucky Brooks, who's a, you know, they, they said, you know, they expressed that same sentiment where, yeah, you have to. You can take the five star talent, but you also have to develop it. So it's certainly been an issue with USC. And I, I always say, you know, things are starting at the top. I mean, you had bad athletic directors, and they made bad coaching hires. And those bad coaching hires aren't going to have a great staff, and then that great staff is not going to develop the players. So I think it's more of a, a domino effect coming from the top. So what you do is you fix the stuff at the top. You get a better athletic director who makes a better head coaching hire, and they hire a better staff. And they do a better job of developing players. I think it's that simple. Development is key. Uh, I mean, it's it's the way you attract those big five-star players. They want to see development. They want to see, okay, they're going to push me to the NFL. They're going to push me to the next level. Uh, can Dante Williams bring that? You know, if you're preaching accountability, I think that's where it starts. Um, you, you know, having everyone be accountable for their actions and, you know, pushing people. Not, hey, I'm going to be your buddy, but you got to push, you know, uh, Kids that are maturing, you know, they need to be pushed. Even if they don't want to be, sometimes they need to be. So I think it starts with that and being a little tougher on them and, 
you know, however that comes about. We've seen it with some of the position coaches throughout the years. You know, Dylan McCullough was a guy that was hard on his running backs. And they, a they guy well. that produced, uh, you know, it doesn't have to always, but you have to understand your players. You have to understand the position group and everything. Um, and, and I think you got to see that development. Now, I want to go ahead and point out Clay McGuire is doing a great job of the offensive line. They are playing so much better than they were previously. Now, if that's just simply being able to teach the same lingo as Graham Harrow has, I don't, I don't know exactly what the, you know, the key to success has been, but I mean, you look, I see it with my own eyes, but if, for a, a third party, PFF does their grades. Every single offensive lineman that's played, all seven, um, that are in that rotation, all seven have set new career highs in two weeks. That That's crazy to me. Yeah. And Liam Jimmins had, in, in week one, had the highest grade that an offensive lineman has had since they started doing it, uh, grading every single game. I think it was six years ago. So, you know, a half decade of kind of up and down, not performing to the peak. And, you know, Liam Jimmins, a fifth-year guy that was a former defensive lineman, just created, had the best grade of any offensive lineman for yeah. USC. I think what's most disturbing is that you look at the offensive line, there's freshmen starting the tackles, you got a new offensive line coach. But, you you know, just from the naked eye, you're like, seem to be playing pretty well, you know, and the offense is struggling. And we all thought, like, you know, the offense should be fine, and if the offensive line is good – this offense could be elite and like the offensive line, I think has been good and the offense is like below average. So it's, it's kind of weird to see that. I mean, I think Keely and Chris talked about this in the family review podcast, but you know, you look at it and you go, how can the offense, you know, that's usually been the reason why the offense has struggled. The offensive line didn't go on. You look at it and you got, well, you got wide receivers. They're green. Your running game is going pretty well. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're running for 170 something yards a game. Averaging over five yards a carry, you look at it and you don't go. Keaton Slovis is just terrible. To me, that tells you it's play calling, and yeah. I feel like they're not running the ball enough. That's what's successful. They're getting down the red zone and then being like, "Let's throw the ball four times in a row inside the ten yard line, in the five yard line." That's what they did. And then they get a pass interference. They threw it two more times versus second down before deciding let's try to run the ball, um, or I think it was on first down, and then they ran the ball. Didn't get it the first time, got it the second time. Yeah. So it, it seems like when the run game's going, you know, you can't be, you just got to, you know, swallow your pride of wanting to throw the ball everywhere and be like, this is working. Let's do it. Make them stop that. And then we'll get, be able to go play action. And they had a couple opportunities where their play action, where the tight ends didn't block well enough and they weren't able to get, get a, you know, get a deep ball off one on one and kind of attack those matchups against Stanford. So that's something else that, that has to be addressed too. The, the offensive line is doing pretty good, but the, the outside guys, you know, putting two tight ends on the field a lot, and then the outside receivers as well, aren't holding those blocks to get those explosive plays. That's one of the things where you're seeing, you know, they're getting to the second level, but they're not holding on to those blocks. And, you know, there was one play that we pointed out in, in film study where a nice run on first down. It was like an eight-yard run. Cortland Ford puts his guy in the ground. Andrew Voorhees gets pushed back a little bit, but then gets a good surge and pushes and creates a hole. But the the guy who makes the tackle comes off Eric Cromnook's block. Mm -hmm. And then Drake London's guy comes off his block. So they're there to make that tackle when it could have been a 12 to 15-yard run and maybe even more than that if, if everyone's getting their blocks. And I think that's the thing with the offense. It's this far off, it yeah. feels like. It's partly play calling, but it's also not everyone's doing their job. It feels like 10 guys are doing their job on every play, and you, you're trying to squeak by with one guy making a mistake. But how long have we heard that from this era? I mean, it's true. It's execution. That's what Graham Harrell says all the time, and it's he – Calls an execution-based offense, so you got to execute. 
but that's on him too. Uh, you know, pointing the finger after the game and saying, you know, Stanford wanted it more than our guys wanted to wanted to make the tackle more than our guys wanted to make a block. Well, well, then you need to motivate better. That's on you. That's your team, your charges. Don't put try to place the blame elsewhere. You you follow that up by saying, and I've got to make them want it more. You know, you can't just place the blame elsewhere. So uh, I, I think that that's something that that needs to be addressed and. Again, we've heard the word accountability a lot this week, and hopefully that's something that is being pointed out as well. Mm-hmm. Accountability. We're still going through callers, if you forgot. So let's go to our next caller. Apparently, the, the bat signal in Iowa was turned on because Coley from Iowa is our uh, next No caller. Notre Dame game tonight. So Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Kelly turned off my NFL game. She was, she was, <laughs> like, she was me distracted. Shotgun. Thanks for having me, um, even though I'm from the Hawkeye State. Uh, if you would be so kind, my simple question is, on this 2020 season alone, has your win-loss total changed? Either Is it going to be better due to the removal of Coach Helton, or is it possibly going to be worse with uh, the difficulty a change causes? Thanks for your time. As always, go Irish. Thanks, Coley. Thanks, Coley. Um, mine would go down because they've already – I mean, I said 10-2. and two. And they've already lost to Stanford. So, like, that's, uh, yeah, not, I mean, just because the team looks worse than I thought. I mean, I think Dante Williams can win a bunch of games, but, you know, eight and four, nine and three seems much more realistic at this point. But, yeah, I have to agree. I think that we didn't expect what we saw. I thought because of the soft schedule, they could easily put up some wins and win ugly. But I think there could be a completely different dynamic going forward. Sure. So, totally, but. I think that they have the talent enough and the offensive line is playing well. That gives me a lot of confidence going forward. Now we'll see if that continues. It's only two games and you can, you know, look a lot different in game two versus game 12. Uh, But we've got a little bit more confidence in them right now. And we'll see how things go together, come together this weekend. And that may change real quick. Yep. Yep. All righty. Let's go to our next caller on the line. It's Kyler from Pennsylvania. Hello. You're live on Tunnel Vision. Hello. Um, my question is, do you think – I like Luke Crickle as a head coach, but I don't see him as an L.A. type of guy. Do you? Does it have to be like James Franklin or Mario Cristobal to be a home run hire? Hey, Kyle, wait, what part? Are you, you're Western Pennsylvania, right? Oh, I just, I just dropped Oh, time. he definitely had the... Uh, he did. Yeah, like, I, I, so I went to Beaver Falls, like, when I was a kid. Uh, I lived in Beaver Falls when I was a kid. We moved to Massachusetts when I was, like, 11. But that's, like, the Orange City, Car Power. <laughs> like, yeah, that, was, that sounded good. Um, love that. I love the thing. Yeah. Uh, Fickle, I mean, obviously, Mike Bone hired Luke Fickle. Uh, at Cincinnati. And everything, you know, we've heard is, like, he's definitely an Ohio guy. Uh, I think they would. Def- I think it would be a challenge to get him uh, away from there. But you know, that's that's someone that has to be on your list. Someone that I think you know Mike Bone would be talking to anyway. Just you know, they've he's already hired and they have a relationship. But uh, you know, I like James Franklin more than some people do. Um, there's a funny. There's a good post on the Peristyle. Uh, go check it out. Um, what was it? It's uh, I think Jason Fink. Jason. He's like did a blind resume of like so he's showing like win percentages and all this stuff. That stuff's kind of interesting. Make sure you go check that stuff out. There's a lot of really good comments about that. Um, you know, I think Cristobal would be like he impressed me with that win at Ohio State. You know, they definitely recruit well. I think for him, when people say like, "Oh, why would you leave Oregon?" Well, 
Oregon's not going to be as easy to win at and to recruit at if USC gets a real head coach, because then it's not going to be as easy to take the five-star players out of Southern California and bring them to Eugene. So his job will get harder if USC gets a really good coach. Um, so would he want to be that really good coach? I don't know if USC would even want him, but that's an, you know those are names you'd at least have to look at. If they could get Cristobal, that would blow my mind. Yeah, I don't think it would because happen. Because there's so much animosity between the two programs <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that I would just be baffled if they made that move. Would it, would it be a terrible hire? I don't, I don't necessarily think that. Uh, but it just seems so far off to me. It, it seemed it, it feels <clears throat> a lot like you know Billy Martin Yankees and him switching over to the Red Sox. I was gonna say like like, it, like or Big Poppy going from the Red Sox to the Yankees it, or it free agents. That's much different. <laughs> Co- coaches like shut down. Like no, it just it would be really weird to see that. I don't think it will happen. But just that also the means that they got outbid by or Phil Knight got outbid. Like if whatever USC offers, I'm sure Phil Knight would turn around and just yeah. But if he's making that decision, I don't think it it would be based solely on money. Yeah. Um, but what they should do is definitely reach out to him and have some conversation, especially if they don't want him, and, and try to put, boost up that the the contract that, more money, yeah. that Oregon is, is waiting to give him. He hasn't got that extension yet. I think he only has like two years left on this deal right now. He does have a pretty big buyout. I think it's like nine. He, he million does, or but it, they've been waiting and waiting to extend him. A lot of people have been curious why he hasn't been extended previously, um, and especially after this Ohio State win. But I would definitely, if I was USC, I would reach out because. If you force him to get more money, that hurts your opponent more. Yeah. So it's, I mean, the Yankees thing is, I think, legit. Like, USC in this scenario is like the Yankees, and they're like stealing the best thing from somewhere else. And it's like, well, it's still the Yankees. Like, it's still USC. There is still a hierarchy in college football. Like, the athletic did at top jobs. Oregon's nowhere near the top. And uh, yes, Oregon's had more success. USC's won one Pac 12 championship in the last 12 years. None of that matters. USC still has the better brand. USC is still a better job. Like, there's no – no one – they pulled 100 people in college football. Like, no one thought Oregon was a better job than USC. So, that's just not the case. So, if for people to say, oh, he would never go, he certainly could go. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but there would be a reason why because Oregon has zero national championships and USC has 11. He could do what he's doing at Oregon and, you know, personified if you're in Los Angeles. But <laughs> – I don't think it's the same. I don't think it's like signing a free agent from your rival. I think it's more like it's the GM of the rival who hates you because you've been signing his players going back and forth at it and somehow him come like that. It, there's a lot of vitriol there behind yeah. the scenes um, because of re- recruiting battles um, with Dante Williams and talking about take back the West. Uh, you know, Mario Cristobal has been savoring every time he plays in the Coliseum and then oh, yeah. beating USC the last two times. He walks around the Coliseum and talks to recruits while he's there, talks about playing in the Coliseum, and they've won big or they won big two times ago. He's pretty familiar with the building already. See, that's it. You're just convincing <laughs> me that he should come down. So, Cristobal actually got an extension at the end of last year. Oh, December, did he? Did I miss that? Sorry. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, he will get an average of $4.55 million annually. Um, He's going to get a raise out of this. A lot of people are like, that's the one thing. This is really early in the process. A lot of people are going to get a raise because USC has got a big job. Like if the Cincinnati job came open, not a lot of people are getting raises from that. Though some people will. Like USC's job, a lot of names can come up and a lot of people will get raises. Mm -hmm. All righty. Let's jump into some questions. First one is from Steve on YouTube who says, anyone going to bet on SC to cover versus Washington State? Culture slash morale boost always adds a couple of points. 
I will not. Uh, I did the first two weeks because that's what I. Oh, I gotta get. I gotta poll everyone to see what their <laughs> picks are still. Um, yeah. Uh, wait, Keely, I think was two and zero, right? I am two and zero. Let's go. Nice. Uh, <laughs> we could just stop that feature now. Keely's two and zero. No, but um, me. I'm normally so I'm not. I'm not. Uh, yeah, not usually picking USC to cover big spreads on the road. I think it was like nine and a half or something like that. So. No, this is uh, – we call this the Chaos Bowl. So I was on Pac-12 Radio with Ryan Leaf. So he's a Washington State guy. And, like, we were talking about the game, and he's like, I call it the Chaos Bowl. Yeah, because you have, you know, Nick Rolovich, who could be fired at any moment. He's not getting the shot. And, like, the government wants the, you know wants him out of there. Uh, USC already fired their head coach. Who knows what's going to happen? A short week of practice of, like, just changing things up. Like, yeah, it's going to be crazy up there. So I will, I will take the points when I don't know what the heck's going on. I think USC is going to come together. Uh, I mean, I'm being optimistic about that. Uh, I mean, that is an optimistic take. I but think that's rare for you, Shadi. Well, it's it's a different week. It's a different <laughs> air right now. Sure. You know, we're we're in a different era, so we'll see if the optimism continues. If they come out and play to their potential, that's the thing we've been waiting to see. We've seen glimpses of it, and it makes it even that much more frustrating when you see those little glimpses and like, oh, that's what it could look like. I I rewatched the Washington State game from last year. Man, they looked so good early in that game. They created three turn- quarter, yeah. three turnovers in the first quarter, I think it was, or first and second quarter. They were up thirty-five nothing. Second half comes out and it's just like bleh. <laughs> it was like they got they created a turnover. They got the ball at like the twenty yard line. They went backwards, yeah. kicked a field goal. They kicked another field goal. Like like they had a chance to put fifty on the board. You know, first time putting a fifty burger up there under Graham Harrell, and from thirty-five nothing right early in the second quarter to I don't remember what the final score was, but. You know, there wasn't you, much, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't much more than that. I'm just impressed you had time to rewatch the game this week. Hey, you got those 60 minute versions on, uh, on Pac 12. That's, what, that's why those, that are, that's one of those are saved on the DVR. <laughs> so I can go back and watch the 60 minute version while I'm, you know, working out or something. Nice. Scott from Eastern Washington says, Who is the 6DB that will be used in the dime package? So I went back and looked at the numbers as well because Washington State's just it's such a unique kind of, uh, you know, offense they're going to face. USC spent most of the game in quarters package, actually. So that's seven DBs on the field. Now they used Talano Hufunga as a linebacker, if you remember in that game. That got a lot of pub. Obviously he had that ridiculous interception, leaped over a guy. He was everywhere in that game. So I'm curious, will they try to move someone into that same spot? Will you try to move someone down and he's kind of the linebacker? Or... Are you going to a true quarters and you just leave one linebacker on the field and you just got seven DBs kind of around them? Uh, so that's a little bit different. They also use some three, two, six dime, which is three down linemen, two linebackers, and then your six DBs. So different ways. A true dime is four down linemen, just one linebacker. So there's not going to be a ton of D linemen on the on the field, which I talked to uh, Vic Soto about this week, and he's which is a little bit different. He normally would only have one, maybe two guys on the field, but. He's going to get the B-backers. He yes. hit the B-backers, which is the Drake Jackson outside linebacker position, that edge rusher that USC uses. Those guys have been practicing under him this week. Don't know if that's a permanent change. Um, haven't been able to, to go back and, and check the audio and see what exactly what he said there. But it's something they're definitely going to do this week because of, of the differences that Washington State has. So they're going to have to get to the quarterback. But the number of DBs, I, I think you're the easy addition is Kalen Bullock. You know, obviously he was rotating in a little bit with Isaiah Paul Mao who's coming back and you know they were trying to get his conditioning up. So he still played some. But I think you're gonna see the three veteran safeties out there too. And then the question becomes, you know, do you just play your two cornerbacks and that's the six? Or if you go to quarters, do you bring in another safety? Because they got a ton of them. 
you know, and Keely and I discussed this a little bit, and Keely, you can give your thoughts on, on who you think if they did if they do go with a line uh, a safety playing that linebacker position, who kind of fits that role? You know, last year was Talanoa. He's got the physicality to play in the box and, and stop the run, but also the agility to get out and cover guys and whatnot. I, I don't know, Ryan, if, what your thought is, but who kind of stands out as a safety that you could put in that position? Uh, I think, I mean, Kalen Bullock's not big, right? Yeah. But, like, I just like the way he plays out there, you know? Like, I just, <laughs> That's I just, the first thing I said to Shotgun, but then he reminded me that I think uh, Kalen had the most missed tackles against Stanford. Oh, he did, yeah. I, he only had two. Okay. That, that is the most. USC only had three missed tackles in that game, which tells you that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, oh, they just whiffed on something and that led to the big really play. Really, only three. That's interesting. You yeah. know, that was, it was one-on-one jump balls and that one long run. That was pretty much it. But yeah. think of who's a tweener, linebacker and safety. Raymond Scott. Yeah. yeah. So Keely brought up that as a possibility. And but did you, I think he wants to leave his safety days behind. I don't well, know. It's one game. But then you can just leave him at linebacker because you don't have to move someone into a different position and yeah. tell them to learn something. That's a possibility. Yeah. I mentioned Chris Thompson. Obviously, he's yeah. got that physicality. They moved, they he's used bigger. him in in what I called their Pop Warner defense. In Pop Warner, you play a lot of six down linemen with with two linebackers um, and three safeties. That's the USC broke this out first time they've done it since I've been doing the charting. Um, so they did that against Stanford with, with some of the jumbo packages. And Chris Thompson was a guy that came in. Tua Sivinamora also came in. Yep. They didn't use it a lot. He's not going to redshirt, right? He's played the first Chris two Thompson, games, I think. You no, know, he's played the first two games, yeah. so I doubt that, that's, that he's going to be there. But that's a guy who's physicality, bigger guy. Kalen Bullock's an interesting one, but I reminded Keeley of when USC played Washington State 2015, 16, somewhere in there. When the, the game they lost, I believe, um, up there. Mike Leach, U.S. Clancy Pendergast said, oh, "Okay, yeah. let me let me try something different. Let me move Matt Lopes in there, have an extra safety, and use him in the middle of the, in the box in the middle of the field." And Mike Leach saw that and said, "Hey, you guys run at him every single time. <laughs> just go straight at thirty-seven, and then you get the lineman to the second level, and you know just a, got a, a safety just gets ra- exactly yeah. and clears him out." Um, so it, that's the thing you got to worry about if you put someone like Kalen Bullock in there. He's a sure tackler. Pretty pretty good in there. Has been solid in the open field, but if that lineman gets his hands on him, he's in trouble. Yeah. We got a question from Dale on YouTube who said, "Do you think USC is going to wait until December for a new job? Seems like we need to hire someone sooner for recruiting, but all the good ones are taken." I mean, technically, not all the good ones are taken. Yeah. I mean, Peterson, and Bob Stoops are pretty good coaches, and they're not taking te- taken technically. Um, I mean, coaches. Yeah, usually the best coaches are working. Like that's you know that's sort of like kind of how it works. Yeah, like unless there's some bad scandals, they're yeah they retired on their own (laughs) merit, or they're just you know they walk like Bob Stoops, you know Chris Peterson, they've walked away from the game. Would they want to come back? But you would yeah, and I think it's a good opportunity to sort of watch how these players do. Like um, you know you just kind of follow along. They're same, someone might crash and burn. Like last year, people were like, oh, James Franklin, they were like 0-5. Like, okay, they had a bad, weird COVID year, but, you know, they got a big win early. They got Auburn this weekend. Like if, if Penn State keeps winning, they're going to be like, oh, that could be interesting. Now, what if the team's doing really well and they, like, make the playoffs? <laughs> so then it's like, it makes it a lot harder because then you're, like, after recruit. So there's a lot of factors in play. But the good thing is USC has a lot of time to kind of figure it out. It's much easier to go out and hire a, a coordinator yeah, because they potentially will leave that job and come early. Um, it's easier to go to the NFL and get a guy, Bobby Petrino, who did the Falcons dirty. 
You know, they got him in the middle of the season. Yeah, right. He, he just left. left. Yeah. Yeah, which hopefully no one does. But, you know, if they go and get Eric Bieniemy as a name that's been thrown out there. But I want to say that if they went and got like an offense coordinator in the NFL, maybe you leave in the season to go. And maybe, especially if you are a have been an NFL guy and you need to kind of get ingratiated with the, the uh, you know, bought into the college system and see all the recruiting in the back and stuff, maybe you come in early and kind of, you know, be a shadow coach like Sarkeesian was for the bowl game or yeah, whatnot. Paul Hackett didn't do that. He waited, and uh, that didn't work out so well. So, I don't, how, when, What time did Pete Carroll come in? I'm assuming he, he was, was already, after the season. It was January uh, after the NFL that's season. That's a good question when it was, after they fired him. Um, I think it was, yeah, it might have been in December. I'll have to go back and look, but. Yeah, he was, you know, he wasn't working at the time. Yeah. So. so so the timing is tough because you because of the early signing period. Yeah. It used to be just wait to the end of the season, get your guy, go for it. And early usually, signing period makes it. And usually you wouldn't be firing someone after week two. Yeah. You know, the the process has been sped up because of the early signing period. But USC is gonna take their time with this. They're gonna have a exhaustive national search. Those were the words that Mike Bone used. Um, and you, you know, they're going to go through all the candidates and do all the vetting and whatnot and do all their stuff behind the scenes. And maybe they land on somebody. And if, if they're lucky, ideally for USC, they talk someone out of staying for the regular season and the bowl game, or, you know, even to, through the regular season, you know, if you can talk someone to come in early, that's even better. Yeah. Keely, we got one on the queue if you want. Sure, let's go to that one. Andrew says, in the opinion of the show, will we see more wideouts playing this Saturday? I think so. I think we're going to see more Kyle Ford. We saw him at the end of the game. <laughs> I'm still going to, like, hitch my horse to that wagon. I think the Kyle Ford thing. I think we're going to see some Kyle Ford this, this week. What, what, what do you guys think? Could. <laughs> yeah, that's... I mean... It's not like Dante Williams went in and changed the offense, but I feel like that's going to be one of the things where you're like... Yeah, we want to play some more guys. Like you, you played, you know, two guys got targets, two wide receivers got targets in game one, and it yeah, was sort Ford of like did look a, l- a little banged up in practice this week, so that is a question mark. But mm. so did Drake see. London, but I don't see him taking okay. any snaps off. That well, yes, that's <laughs> part of the reason why he was a little banged up. But yes, yes, yeah. um, I, I think that you know Dante Williams is still trying to kind of find his bearing with the offensive side. He's learning the the verbiage. Uh, you know, he's learning the lingo over there, trying to figure out what the play calls are and everything. So I don't think he's going to immediately say, this guy needs to play, this guy not, needs not to play. I think he's going to work his way in. Now, maybe he did that behind the scenes, but I just don't think that's his, necessarily his, his personality type to just come in and say, this is crap. You need to play this guy. You need to play this guy. <laughs> Like I think it'll work into that way as he kind of understands everything that the offense is trying to do first, which I think would be very difficult to do in four days this week with so much else going on. Yeah, you know, the, you know, he takes over position and he talked about uh, this morning when we talked to him about getting home at one a.m. and being back in the office at like five thirty. Yeah, what he need, he's got to learn that like this week he should have just been sleeping in the office <laughs> the entire time. Um, Probably there's no home time um, when you're first taking over. I think the one thing though is like the accountability stuff. There's like I think there was definitely some issues in the locker room, and if if some of that stuff is cleaned up, it might allow you know people to play that maybe we're supposed to. And did I, I mean I think just cleaning up some of the infrastructure stuff that was going on that might let some other things bubble up and yeah. we'll see. So yeah. we'll see if that happens. Ryan, I think your burner uh, had a comment on YouTube. It said, I had got a fever and the only cure is more Kyle Ford. 
There you go. Okay, Boone said that one. Uh, we got a question on Facebook from John who said, I'm wondering about game management decisions. Is Dante Williams up to the challenge uh, for a tight game? Well, the good thing is he has so much head coaching experience that he's never done it at all. <laughs> at all. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a new new adventure for him. You know, calling timeouts, when to go forward on fourth down, when to punt. Those type things are all new, and those are the type of things that, that can be interesting. Also, trying to work the refs to your benefit. You know, those are things that you kind of learn on the job as you go. So, you know, bear with him, I guess, a little bit, yeah. in the, especially in the first half. This like, is like, yeah, trial by fire for sure. And just uh, returning to the field. He loved, but he wanted to be on the field. No, I know, but he hasn't been. Um, you know, well, and everybody on that defensive staff wants to be on the field. They're all hands on. They're yeah. all very in your face guys. That's you need somebody up in the booth. You guys are on the field a bunch, and you can kind of see some of the body language and just of, of some of the coaches. And I know Coach Harvey Hyde, uh, you know, talks about this. Yeah, he's an older coach. He coached in the '80s and stuff, but he does watch like what the coaches are doing, and he definitely comments on like. Keenan throws an interception, like nobody's even talking to him. Like there's you want the head coach and everyone to be involved in like what's going on with the player. So I think Dante Williams is going to do a better job of sort of like engaging with the people he has to on the sideline. We'll see, it'll be well, something we'll watch, you know. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it on Family Feud. Saturday seemed like the perfect time for Dante to be on the field. Like you can't tell me that they wouldn't made they wouldn't have made some improvements if Dante wasn't able to be there. You know, there's only yeah. so much you can communicate over a phone. What improvements the defense line do? And Vic Soto is on the field. Yeah, I mean, you can look at it kind of two ways there. Sure. I mean, the safeties were playing better if 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 uh, Nivar is not on the field, are they playing worse? I mean, <laughs> sure. Uh, Derek wanted to know: Are we going to see competition Wednesdays once again? I mean, if they're wearing full pads, but yeah, I mean, there's potential. But I mean, that's a was it competition Tuesday anyway? It was, yeah, yeah, it was turnover Wednesday, I think. Competition Tuesday. Your era, believe. Ryan. So. Yeah, I believe it was. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, didn't follow along with all Pete's uh, whatever. Um, but yeah. Um, we got a question from Mark who says, uh, it's a recruiting question. He says, "Are is USC going to lose Damani Jackson to Michigan? Uh, Damani Jackson came out right after the announcement and said no. And Dante Williams is his guy. You know, they, yeah. he's very close with Dante Williams. So I, I think it's, it would have been a much more, much bigger hit to USC if Dante Williams was fired versus Clay Hilton yeah. in this one in situation. I got this question a lot from Jason. He says, do we think the play calling is going to change now? I don't think so yet. Yeah, I, I think the only thing that could happen. So we you looked at Dante Williams when he was kind of asked about what you know changes and it's just sort of like. He's like had so many things to do. It's like you, you know, like you have like priority list of like a hundred things, and you're like, that's like a hundred and one. You're like, uh, I, I just can't do it all. I feel like he could come in there and be like, I want to run the ball more, or we got to get, you know, I want to see more three wides or whatever it is. I think he could make like a general like statement and like have it go in that direction, but not like sitting in the meetings or like, all right, here's how we're gonna like make this offense better. You and, know? and during the game, you know. It's gonna be, you know, like a like a crew chief in NASCAR. It's like we got to do this better. We got come on. We got to yeah. we got to run the ball better. You know, we got to run the ball more. What are we doing? Let's let's get get the ground game going. That yeah. type of thing, or let's spread them out. Look, they're playing like it's gonna be a back and forth conversation, obviously, because he'll be on the headset with Graham Harrell up in the box. But him saying, you know, you got to run 
you know, four verts here. We need four verts. We need four verts right now. Like, that's not going to happen. No. It, it might, you might see something in the game where he's like, run the damn ball or like <laughs> yeah. get it to Drake or whatever it is. Like, you could, you know, he's head coach, so he could do stuff like that. We got more in the queue if you want. Sure, but we got a question from Gary who said, last week, Todd Orlando was Dante's boss, so whatever T.O. wanted went. Now, Dante is T.O.'s boss. If they disagree on a defensive strategy, i.e. playing man coverage, who will win out now? Dante. He's the head coach. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's like, you know. Now, I don't think that's going to be an issue. I don't. I think they're very aligned. I think the defensive staff is, is very aligned, and that's why Dante said – you know, he says, I got a good I got a good feel for everything on the defense. I know all the calls, all that type of stuff. That's why he spent, you know, what we could see probably 80% of practice, uh, the portions we could see over watching the offense, standing with the offense, kind of learn, trying to learn more about the offense. I think. Yeah. We got a question on YouTube from Randy who says, a lot of names on the board. Who do you see as being the best fit for USC? Also, I'm going to throw into this. On both platforms, there's just been fights over James Franklin and whether or not he's a good candidate. Yeah. Um, it is funny that there's people that are, you know, kind of fighting over that. I mean, he's he had Vanderbilt ranked a couple of times. Uh, he won the Big Ten in the Ohio State era. Like, yes, people are mad because he lost to USC in the Rose Bowl, but that was like a crazy, crazy game. But um, yeah, I mean, I think he's certainly a good candidate. I mean, I, I think the two you got to start with for me are like Luke Fickle and Matt Campbell. Um, just they've been able to do it. Matt Campbell's at you know at Iowa State. Who's won there? And it's a power five job. A um, little bit more of a reach for a Cincinnati coach, but there's, you know, good connection there. Cincinnati's produced a ton of uh, top, you know, like Brian Kelly and a bunch of guys that came out of there that did well. Um, I think I would start with with those two. But there's, the good thing is you have a lot of time to kind of look at, at different candidates. But those are two of the top ones, I would think. To me, there's different types of coaches. Some coaches are really good at building a program, but can they take them to that upper echelon? And that could be a concern with the PJ Fleck or Matt Campbell or uh, Fickle. Like, you know, you're taking less and doing more with less, but when you get the best, can you then, you know, excel to the level that is expected? Um, that can be difficult sometimes. So I, I think it's going to be a long process. I mean, if you had an ideal hire, it would be Nick Saban. <laughs> that, yeah. that one's the simplest He's as the possible. Best, yeah, yeah the, the best coach possibly ever in college football. But, you know, realistically, he's not leaving Alabama. So then you're looking at, at some of the other candidates. And, uh, you know, it's kind of difficult to, to kind of pinpoint it right now because I think there's qualities. James Franklin did really good at Vanderbilt, an amazing job at Vanderbilt. And he's done a good but not necessarily great job at Penn State. And him and Bill O'Brien, which is another name that's been on, they were bringing the, the program back after, you know, the, the Sandusky uh, scandal and everything, so that can be difficult. You got to kind of look at some people just look at the straight stats, their overall record. Well, James Franklin's overall record at Vanderbilt should get like bonus points, obviously. And the same thing with Matt Campbell at Iowa State or PJ Fleck while at Western Michigan, those should get bonus points. But then once you get to that next level, can you take it even higher? Because I think that's something that PJ Fleck's really run into. Like he, you know, taking Western Michigan to where it was was crazy, but then he's got to Minnesota and they've done well. But, but not like, are you getting? Are you competing for that that like, Big Ten title every year? No, he's like a, a sub five hundred record of the Big Ten, and he's sort of like a gimmicky guy, like the row their boat stuff. Some people think that, but you know, I mean, Pete Carroll's gimmicky. Then he can be gimmicky. Win too. Win the yeah. day, yeah, competition Tuesday, turnover Wednesday, it was, can be considered gimmicky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it can work. I think 
the thing is, you have to trust that Mike Bowen and Brandon Sosna are not like the previous athletic directors that just hire your buddy that wouldn't just go to Luke Fickle because that's the guy they know. They would interview him. And maybe they hired him in Cincinnati because they thought he'd be great there. They might not think he'd be great at USC. And yeah. that's that fair. And you might see Matt Campbell is awesome at Iowa State. Like, we think he's going to be amazing at USC. Or not quite. James Franklin, he's got a better personality for Los Angeles. Whatever. You, you have to trust them to you know, identify candidates and then interview them and then see if they would actually fit for the job that you're going to do. And I think they're, they've shown that they have a good process. So if you're a USC fan, just feel good about there. There's some good people that are probably, that are making this choice and, you know, they're going to do if the best possible candidate, I think they really want to bring in, not the one that they can control or the one that they know. So they're not going to change things too much. Like that's not that we're focused on. The other athletic directors were trying to win. They were trying to like get their guy. They're going to try to get the best guy in to try to win the most football games and win championships at USC. So that's that's all you can ask for. Yeah, there's different characteristics that will win at different places. Cold weather, warm weather, East Coast, West Coast, big city, little you know, small town takes different characteristics. So what they hired at Cincinnati may have been a completely different characteristic, yeah. and what they hired in Cincinnati for was it the AAC then? I don't even know if it was uh, if they were already so. in there. But for that conference versus the Pac-12 could be completely different. Yeah. We got a question from Mayor of Compton who says, how are the linebackers supposed to get in the groove if they have a rotation? It's really only three guys. I mean, I think they I – don't, I don't think that's what's holding them back from – we just don't hear their name called very much. You know, like that's, that's what I have the biggest concern with. I don't, I don't believe too much in the groove – on a football field because there's a lot of substitution that goes on, you know, you're on and off the field as far as, you know, offense, defense. So I, I believe a little bit less in that than some other sports where you kind of need it. You need to get your bats or you need it. You know, you kind of need to get uh, some shots up, but in football, you're already rotating and stuff like that. Now reading exactly what the defense is for that rotation to really work the best and for it to excel and all of them to excel, they have to communicate so well with each other. What did you see on that play? What is the what are the guards doing? What are they trying to do here? And that communication has to go through the the linebackers coach now, Michael Hutchings. Congratulations, uh, but also yes. the defense coordinator Todd Orlando and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a question from Steve, who said, um, "Do you think the offense from Harold's first season is more pure air raid? If so, would you rather live by the sword, die by the sword? Meaning play full air raid instead of an air raid light?" Yes, and yes. I mean, especially <laughs> at the end of the year when they didn't have any running backs. Yeah. yeah. Say. It was Keenan Kristen and, and Amon Ross St. Brown. Brown. Yeah. Like, I, I don't even want to use the term air raid anymore. I know even, you know, Graham Harrell wasn't using it year one, but it looked much more like an air raid then than it does now. Like, you don't see, like, two tight ends and stuff. And Shotgun did a great job of breaking down the formations by position. And, you know, when USC – this last game, when USC put two tight ends out there, it was pretty putrid. So – uh, it just seems like you're an expert at this, but you're running something else to kind of show that you can do other things, but it's not very effective. Like they were the most effective when they just tried to run something that was closer to the air raid. So I would rather see them just do that. Here's the difference. One, their running game actually works now. Two, they don't have the same quality of receivers that they had at the time. Some of these guys may develop into being as good as some of those guys, but Pittman, Amon Ross, St. Brown. When Drake London's your fourth guy, now he's a true freshman at the time. Yeah. But he's your fourth guy and he comes in, kind of works his way up to being the fourth guy. 
you don't have guys, you don't have automatic three pros out there. We knew that Amon Ross St. Brown, Michael Pittmore definitely going to be drafted, and Tyler Vons would definitely get a shot. Three pros. Do you look out there and say Manjack is definitely a pro? Do you say Kyle Ford or Gary Bryant? No, you don't say, you go, those guys could pr- become those, yeah. but that's not the case yet. They've got to produce. And um, so, you know, Drake London is going to be, and that's it. So I, I think there's two big differences there. I think the best coordinators, the best head coaches, the best coaches at anything are the ones that are able to adapt to the talent that they have. For sure. If that means you need to swallow your pride as an air raid coach and run the ball more, I think that boosts your stock with me that much more. I'm like, yeah, I want to run the air raid. I want to throw the ball 50 times, but our best chance to win is to be able to run the ball. Jamie on Facebook wanted to know how did Solomon Tuliala Poopoo look against Stanford, but it was one play, correct, Shotgun? Yeah, he ran. <laughs> Actually, he ran up to block. It was a punt return. So the problem was he was in on the punt return. Prophet Brown made his debut as well, but both of them only got one snap because the – Two other, I think it was two other times that, that Stanford had a chance to – or that USC forced a punt. Stanford was in plus territory, so USC kept their defense on there except for Gary Bryant. That's how they ended up with Greg Johnson and Gary Bryant, both nowhere number one. Yeah. Uh, so they were in punt, punt return safe, basically. And they only one time stopped Stanford far enough back that they felt comfortable you know, using their full punt return team. He, he ran up, did a block, he ran back. And the best part was we saw him on Tuesday. No worries. Back out there. Still blowing up people on scout team. Yeah. So, you know, super excited that after everything he's gone through, that he's back on the field. And to see him, you know, first dress in the first game, but now to actually be on the field and run around. And if he's on special teams again, expect him to hit somebody. Yes, he wants to hit someone. So keep an eye. You know, he was on punt return last week, so keep an eye and look for 58. But also look on some of the other special teams. He might get some more opportunities. So keep an eye. And if he is on the field, just watch him. Don't worry about the return. Don't worry about anything else. Just watch him. See what happens. If it's a huge return, they'll show a replay. Yeah. But watch 58. <laughs> we got a question from Bill on Facebook who said uh, – why on offense, it seems that like they're trying to be too cute. If you have the better players, then you don't need to be cute. Simplify, execute, exploit the matchups already. So, I mean, part of what Shotgun was saying was USA had a whole bunch of NFL wide receivers. Usually when you're running the air raid, it's like you're, you're using it because your talent might not be as good as your opponent, but you're scheming these guys open. There's a bunch of guys that are spreading out the field. They're using every blade of grass. So... Having someone like Joseph Manjack or Kyle Ford or Michael Jackson, like you should be able to get – those guys are good enough that they can get open somewhere and you move the ball down the field. Um, yeah, I feel like in this situation, everything they've done is like a struggle. Everything is hard, and it should just be easier. If you feel like we have the personnel to run the football better, then just keep running the football. Or you know, But you got to scheme guys open. you got to make this so it's not like every single play – you're relying on your athlete to do something amazing. Like coaching-wise, get them into space somehow. Get them, get them open. Whatever you got to do, and let the plays come a little bit easier than what they're coming right now. I think it's been a little bit of a bad rap as far as you know. It's coming too hard. The thing is, they're not getting explosive plays. They're getting open receivers and short receivers like Taj Washington on out routes and stuff. He's getting open. Uh, you know, Drake London's getting open for a ton of catches against San Jose State. Not as much. Caillou Kai, Blue Kelly had a really nice game as a cornerback. But they got, you know, Gary Bryant open a couple times. They got Jude Wolf open. You know, some of those short routes. They're not getting those explosive plays that kind of pop out to you. They're not getting one deep behind them. Part of that was Stanford was in drop eight a ton. 
and I give credit to Keaton Slovis for being patient. He was very patient in, the, in that first half in particular, early in the third quarter. That's why they're getting these long 15-play drives. That's not air raid. Yeah. You know, That's not what the air raid wants to do. They want to strike quick. But that tells you that they're being successful and moving the ball. It is The problem is when they get off track, when they lose yardage or you know you get the, the snap that gets fumbled and Keaton Slovis has to throw it away real quick, when they get off schedule, they're not really good at getting back on schedule. That's the, been the hardest part for them. And part of that is Keaton's taking those short ones. They're not being able to get those chunk yardage. They're not getting the 15, 20-yard plays as often as they have been in the past. And sometimes that takes breaking a tackle or something. Uh, it just hasn't happened from these first two games. So, And when they do have drop eight, there's still opportunities to throw one-on-ones on the outside at times, depending on the coverage. It, it, you know, Just because they're dropping eight defenders doesn't mean it's always the same coverage. So they had one Drake London on a play action. They didn't get a block from the tight end, couldn't throw it out there, give him an opportunity to go make that big play. And they haven't necessarily connected on all those deep balls that they have tried, the couple yeah. they have. I'd like to see the, some intermediate routes, some chunk stuff that's like the 15, like even a 15 yard out or something, the guys open the middle of the zone somewhere, you know, like you're dropping a bunch of guys. I'm just not seeing much of that. It's like, you know, you're, it's like every time you're throwing it, you're trying to make a contested catch. And it just seems like I get they're dropping guys back. Either run the football more or figure out a way to get these guys, you know, open, dragging around, whatever you need to do. Just you got to, they're not running to grass and like, <laughs> that's what they're supposed to be doing and they're not doing it. We got a question on Facebook from Steviticus who says, Ryan, would you rather hire a defensive head coach or an offensive head coach? Yes. Uh, so for me, it doesn't matter. Like, I want to <laughs> hire the best head coach. So I think I did a rant on um, the last time on this kind of too. I don't want to restrict myself and say, we've had offensive head coaches. Let's go defensive head coaches. Because if your top three candidates happen to be offensive coaches, now you're hiring your fourth best candidate because you've just made an arbitrary decision that you want a defensive coach. So I would not restrict myself in any way as far as like offense, defense, or special teams. We talked about this on the on the last show. You got to find the best candidate. And if it's an offensive coach, I want to hear what his defensive philosophies are. I want to hear who his shortlist for defensive coordinators would be. And I might have input as an AD of what they, you know, and we've known this athletic department can help out with that and that you know, come to some kind of collaboration. Same thing on the defensive side. You're like, okay, what kind of offense do you want to run? Who would you be tagging as your offensive coordinator? Are you going to be hands-on? Are you going to let them run their, run their stuff? Uh, I think that's all part of the interview process, but I would not restrict myself or restrict the school to going one direction or another. Mm -hmm. Guy on Facebook wanted to know, if you had to identify keys to the game for USC on Saturday, what would they be? I saw a guy. He was like, let's, let's talk some X and O's. I saw yeah. him on there. Um, so, I mean, for me, like defensively, they have to kind of get back to where they were. Washington State's offense got a little – started a little slow last week against Portland State, but then they started moving the ball. I think they scored like – Three state streets, three straight touchdowns. Uh, Max Borgie is an awesome player. Going to catch the ball. He's going to run the ball. Um, you know, how are they going to exploit the secondary that had some struggles against Stanford last year? This is going to be a more, uh, I mean, I think a more talented passing attack uh, coming out. So I think it's going to be a challenge for the secondary. They're going to play different coverages, like Shotgun was talking about, different looking dimes. But I feel pretty confident. I think the defense is going to do all right because Washington State's still a mess too. Um, but offensively, it's almost like USC against a scout team. I'm not sure they're going to be really successful. So what can they wow. do? Ryan. I'm just saying, like, it's just they've looked so clunky. So a scout team? 
we've seen the scout team make some plays in the in, in practice. No, I'm, you know, just being facetious here, but like, can the offense just come out and just score a bunch of points? We've seen other you know bad teams score a bunch of points. I guess Washington State go on some runs. This team's got to go on some runs and just put a bunch of points up there, and then it doesn't matter as much defensively. You're going to put Washington State in a hole. They're definitely going to be throwing the football, and you can get the pass rush after that, get some sacks. To me, it's more about the offensive side of the ball. Like, can you? But I'm not worried as much about what Washington State's doing. It's more about like what USC is doing. Containing Max Borgie is big. He didn't play last year, um, so you know that's a, that's a big weapon for them. The first thing that comes to mind, though, is just energy. Having energy, you know, they they looked very lethargic. They looked demoralized in that fourth quarter. You know, I think the fans leaving, the booing, the chanting got to them. I want to see them come out with energy and show that they're together. You know, camaraderie on the sidelines and everyone hyped up. Uh, you know, they they what do they say all the time? I think it is that the team with the most energy is usually the team that wins. I think that's what Graham Harrell says to them, because usually that means you're doing well, right? Well, if you bring the energy, it kind of helps that stuff flow. So I think energy is going to be really big, especially 1230 game early. It's supposed to be bad weather. Yep. Uh, so, and if it's bad weather on the offensive side, run the ball. <laughs> True. Like Make that. Washington state stop you. Washington state doesn't have huge defensive linemen. You should be able to push them around. Let, let the offensive line, you know, bang on somebody for once. Washington state's the type of team where they can get a ton of confidence. You play you played well against San Jose State. You played okay against Stanford. If you come out and just bang Washington State, work them, the offense line coming off of that, and like, all right, let's go. We can go play. Let's go beat Oregon State at home, and then we'll play Utah, and that's going to be a tough match, but they'll have so much confidence going in. If they start running the ball well early, keep at it. Just keep going. You know, Use the, the screen game as an extension of the run. Get, I haven't seen much of that hit, at all. Just hit people. Have hit they people. run any screens? Like, Have they done any? Well, I'm talking about like the wide receiver stuff. You saw a ton oh, okay. of those short throws to, to Drickland. That's an extension of the run game, really. Yeah. Uh, they just want to get the ball out quick to the outside. You know, it's a it's basically a two on two matchup. Uh, you try to make a quick move, get upfield before the rest of the defense can come over. So yeah, those type of things do it all. Shotgun's new favorite word is worked. Yeah, worked. <laughs> that was what that was the cornerbacks last game. They got worked. Already, it's the top of the hour. We have a full caller queue, so I'm going to run through that. Thank you for those people waiting patiently. I appreciate it. Then we're going to do some final questions and then wrap this puppy up with some game predictions. So let's go to our callers like promise. Let's go to Tim from Seal Beach. Hello. You're live on Tunnel Vision. Hi, guys. Uh, thanks. Yeah, after the shock wore off and then the excitement and jumping around wore off, I started to think right away, how much is the um, – like Dante, how much are his head coaching duties going to take away from recruiting? Uh, and specifically for three guys, I think these guys are huge going forward. Uh, first being um, Zion Branch. And um, I mean, I'm okay. I'm not worried too much about Jackson and, and Gould, right? And, and guys like Ross, but uh, Branch specifically. And then also um, Williams, he seems like they're going to come after him strong. And then I don't know how much is the difference going to make losing, you know, Helton and um, most likely not having Harold. Who's going to get on Devin Brown? Please keep him on board because I think he'll be a difference maker. Thanks. Uh, thanks for the question. Yeah, I think uh, Harold and Brown are pretty close. So, I mean, you know, we'll see. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with the entire staff, who the next coach is going to be. But Dante Williams is not – he still says recruiting is a third of the job. doesn't matter if he's the head coach. He wakes up 5 in the morning, calls East Coast kids. He goes to bed really late, calling West Coast kids. 
He's still involved in recruiting and will be involved in recruiting. He called what Keely was 25 7? 25 7. Yeah. So I would not worry that he's going to back off his recruiting duties. Yeah. Do we have to start a new site now? 25 7 Sports? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wearing one of the shirts. I usually wear a shirt. Don't maybe. Remember. Maybe. New branding opportunity there. Thanks, Tim, for the call. We appreciate it. Sponsored NIL, Dante Williams. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I believe it's Adrian from the Valley on the line. Hello, you're live on television. Hey, what's up, guys? Always good to call in. So I have I have two quick questions. I promise not going to be too long. So the first one is, after the Stanford game, do you think we're still somewhat of a favorite in the South, or did UCLA's emergence kind of stop that? And I don't know about ASU. I haven't really been sold on them. I feel like they live off that one Oregon win, but that's just my opinion. So obviously I feel like UCLA is a big one. And then the second part is, did that Oregon win over Ohio State and did UCLA over LSU kind of help the Pac-12 possibly get somebody in the playoff if there's a one-loss team or if there's an undefeated champion? Or will they probably give that to a one-loss SEC team or maybe even Clemson if they win out uh, the entire West of the way? Because I really want a West Coast team to at least get in the playoff. It's been so long. Good to hear your thoughts. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks for the question. For sure, on the second part, uh, you know, the, the Ohio State win is big. I mean, that could... You know, potentially eliminate uh, the Big Ten if, if you know if it's like a eleven and one Ohio State champ, Big Ten champion, and a eleven and one Oregon Pac twelve champion. Like you're gonna pick the team that won. You know, like they head to head and UCLA beating LSU, if, especially if they make some kind of run. Man, if Colorado could have held on and beat Texas A and M, a top five huge. team, that was a a big one too. Um, you know, yeah, I think some of these early season wins for the conference are are definitely important and it didn't eliminate the Pac-12 from the playoffs like we've seen basically in years past. Now, USC losing to Stanford hurt the Pac-12's chances because you wanted another kind of power, but you mentioned UCLA. They're probably the favorite in the South right now. If there was like odds makers and stuff um, doing it, I would say they're the favorite the way they've looked. It's only two games. LSU might be vastly overrated. We will see, but that's still a really talented team that Chip Kelly was able to dismantle and just run all over. They're playing at a much higher level, great defense. They run the football well. Their run schemes are, if you see people breaking them down on Twitter, they're doing a really nice job uh, with the offensive line. So, yeah, I think UCLA is probably the favorite, even though USC is the more talented team right now. I think that it, you should just consider USC as a team that hasn't played. You know, this could be a completely different team than what we saw last week. True. Yeah. So I, I think that's just consider they haven't played because they haven't played the South game. Uh, so they – to control their own destiny and all that that jazz, uh, but all see, that jazz. see where they are. Uh, actually, jeez, oh, they, they play three north in a row. I didn't think about that. Yeah, they play three uh, north in a row. Washington State and Oregon State. When they play Utah, I, I think you'll know a lot more going into that Utah game because even then they could. I mean, if they play terribly this week, you'd be like, well, they still might turn around. Yeah, it's really hard right a lot now. This, after this weekend. It's hard right now. We do our our podcast of champions power rankings, so you know, and it's like. We have Oregon and UCLA, and then at the bottom you have like Washington and uh, who else do we have down there? Um, Arizona, and there's like one. I forget the other team, and then Cal and Cal's Cal's hasn't won a game yet. Like you know they're zero two, and then everyone else is like one and one in the middle. And you're like, what do you do with all these teams? Like is is USC like the number nine team or the number four team? Like we had like Colorado, I think number four or five, and they're one and one. Like. What? Like, I don't know. It's it's just, there's a big mess in the middle. So I think Oregon and UCLA are the favorites just right now because they've, they got the two signature wins. They haven't lost yet. So. Mm -hmm. 
Alrighty, we have one more caller in the queue and then we'll get some rapid fire questions in. If you haven't gotten yours in yet, do so right now. Let's go to John from Glendora. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. What's up, guys? Ryan, you ready to roast me like you always do, I guess? <laughs> uh, you know? So, I feel like it would go on like two anyways, calls with you, John, without that happen. It's going to happen with me. I know that already. Um, anyways, uh, my biggest question, guys, is just realistically, I was at the game on Saturday. I was very disappointed. I know everybody said that. I didn't get the call on Wednesday or whatever day it was. Um, but um, my biggest thing is I, I can see the team not having a rotation of players, not playing Kyle Ford when he's better than 90% of the receivers that are out there. Um, I think that's a Clay Helton thing. I'm glad that Dante took over. I feel like he's going to rotate every single guy. I think you're going to see guys with more playing time. I think they're going to let the coordinators coach and just stay away from what they what they can do is do best. Like if you're going to run the air raid, run the air raid. You're going to run the defense, you're going to blitz, blitz your defense. He's going to let those coaches live by the sword, die by the sword. I don't know what do you guys think. There's no reason to roast you Thanks, there. Um, I do think the coordinators are making the call. I think like I feel Rick, like you should be roasting him just because he wants it so bad. He keeps asking. I, yeah, I think you've called three times <laughs> in a row. I haven't roasted you. Like if you came up and said. Jack Del Rio needs to be the head coach. Then I'll, okay, I'll roast you. Of course, like that's that's a horrible idea. <laughs> Are you roasting but, him for not roasting him? I'm now I'm roasting him for roasting him. So okay. I guess that we got we. It's like a the self fulfilling prophecy. prophecy. Yeah, <laughs> it is fulfilled. Um, now I forget what the question. <laughs> Potential <laughs> or, rotation. Oh yeah, letting the coordinators. Yeah, so like Graham Harrell is like making the call. Like who's out there? The thing. Okay, is Dante Williams going to come in and say you want to play this guy? This guy? I don't know, but I feel like he's recruited. All of these guys, like if he was at USC or was at Oregon, he's got really good relationships with a lot of the guys. If someone's going to come to him and be like, hey, coach, I've been doing this and doing that. And, you know, I don't know if there's going to be time to do that. But I think throughout the season, if there's someone in a rotation that maybe should have been, then he has a good relationship with them that he might get it going. I don't know. We'll see. But he does have great relationships with these guys. So I think they could come to him with. Uh, something where if you went to like Clay Helton, then he might just give you like, he's not going to upset this guy. He's not going to upset this, this guy. I think Dante Williams would be like, okay, that is a problem. I'm going to fix it. So if there is some of those, I think he would actually take care of it. With playing time, uh, you know, there's a danger with rotation. You know, some something happens and Dante Williams is big on accountability when there's a penalty or something. He's going to pull his guy off. Well, when Josh Jackson goes in, is he ready? You know, you can rotate a bunch of guys, but you know, if Jaden Williams rotates in and gets torched on a play, are you going to then be mad? Because why is that guy in there instead of Chris Steele? Yeah, fans are going to be mad then. Sure. So it's a double-edged sword in that way. Uh, if you rotate a bunch of guys, you're going to get them experience, and, and you want some guys to be able to, to be able to step in so you can rest some guys. But it isn't always the case. This is a dramatic... I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> my, um, my camera's frozen, so Ryan is doing some IT work behind the scenes. But as far as... And one of the other things that was an issue, I think, under Clay Helton for people that weren't playing is that there wasn't always an explanation of why you're not playing. Okay, well, Coach, what, what can I do to get better? What areas do you need to see me get better at? There wasn't always that, and I think that bothered a lot of players. And some of the transfers that I've talked to in the past, you know, that's one of the things that, that was a, an issue for them. Or a Kerry Angeline, who I haven't talked to, but we know why he left because his yeah. position coach never talked to him. But like, <laughs> if if you, if seems like it, it, seems like an easy thing to do, talk to your players. I've never been a position coach, so maybe yeah. maybe it's more difficult than I think. In, it wasn't in the requirements. <laughs> like, oh, talk to the players. <laughs> I don't want to do that. 
But I think that's one of the things that, that hopefully gets um, amended going forward is like if a player comes to a coach and says, coach, what do I need to do better? You need to have an outline like, all right, this guy's better at you than this and this. That's where the areas you need to work on. That wasn't always the case under Hilton. Yeah. All righty. Thanks, John, for the call. We appreciate you. Thank you. And try not to roast you as best we can. <laughs> I don't believe my camera is fixed, so it's I'm going to go to the, the wide shot right oh, now. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's all good. Uh, it's trying to tell us to, to wrap it up. Yeah, oh, we, we can wrap. We got a question, actually, uh, from Alan, who said, Do we expect a big drop-off in personal fouls and dumb penalties with Helton gone, or is it not that simple? I mean, well, not exactly that simple, but if you're a guy that gets those type of penalties and then you have to set out a quarter, which – which Dante Williams was talking about said, you know, if we have to send him out for a, a play, uh, a drive, a quarter, uh, a half, if you get one penalty and you know, I'm going to stop talking. I just think I'm going to stop talking yeah. out on the field. I want to be on the field. Um, you, you talk plenty from the sideline, but I'd rather be on the field coach. So I'm going to stop talking now. Yeah. It, the weird. So it'll be interesting to see because the way Dante Williams talked this week, it just sounded like he wasn't throwing Clay Helton under the bus. He said like the, basically the, the kind of foundation that Clay Helton built, he can create accountability out of that. But it's basically insinuating you didn't have it before. So we're going to create this like culture of accountability, which is something you need to do. I mean, and sometimes players are craving the, the, the kind of discipline. Like, you know, you have that uncle that lets you eat cookies for dinner. And it's like, well, that's cool. But then I got a tummy ache. And like, you know, it'd been nice if my uncle made me eat some broccoli and whatever, you know. Uh, so, Cool what you've had today, Ryan. Just got it. Whatever. I'm just. I make this stuff as I go. I make it up as I go. Uh, so some. I think there's going to be some players that are like, yes, I want this accountability. I want to be able to be, you know, I. I want like, I, we feel like there's going to be some positive aspects of that. And if it means, hey, I'm not going to go out in the field and do something dumb, that's going to help the team, and they're not going to get that personal foul penalty. Very fair. Alrighty, I'm going back to the sky cam, and with that, uh, game predictions. How do you think this one's going to go, guys? I mean, literally no idea. This is the Chaos Bowl for a reason. All I know is, like, since I don't know what's going on, there's a spread that's more than than a touchdown. I will take this Washington is, State nine and a half or whatever it is. Like, I'm, I'm taking gonna... USC. Last year was a Chaos Bowl. Do you remember going into that game? USC's coming off of COVID. Washington State's coming off of COVID. They moved the game to Sunday. They moved the game to Sunday. USC had an offensive lineman that didn't like practice all week. They, none of them practiced all week. Jonah Monheim. All, all contact. Did he start? I think no, he started. Cortland Ford. Ford started. Oh, Cortland Ford started. Jonah Monheim had to come in because Liam Jimmins made it about a couple of drives and was too fatigued from you know being in the COVID, COVID protocols yeah. or whatever. So um, they had two freshmen out there, and yet USC whooped up on them. So. All I want in this they didn't game. Have Max Borgie. There, there's them. a lot of. I mean, there was. It was a chaos bowl. There's a lot of different stuff going on. So yeah. Is this the return of chaos bowl part two? Got two, I guess. Revenge. I want to see Dante Williams do some crazy stuff out there, just like going nuts, and I want to see him like be head coach, like crazy man. <laughs> Fake pun on fourth and twelve. Just do like all kinds of stuff from your like, own twenty-eight. I want to see when him. It's raining. Eat grass like Les Miles. Like I want to do all that stuff. No. And I want to see the governor of Washington come like onto the field and like oh, physically remove Nick Rolovich and like. Fire him like a halftime or something. That would be great. Like that would be super chaos bowl. Oh my god! Or they like give him his vaccine like right on the field. Like that. 
Ryan you, needs you're like, to be taken out there. You're like looking for Woody Hayes to ghost to come out and tackle some player, aren't you? This is the most. Did you see his press conference? Like, the, no. there was a um, a Washington State or a reporter from the state of Washington that was just like grilling him about getting the shot. Are you getting the shot? Where you that? And he just didn't even know what to say. It's like this is a powder keg. Like something big is going to happen up there. So I want to see it when USC plays, and that would be more fun. Like something big, like something crazy happens. Do you think weather plays a, a factor into the game? We got a question on Facebook about that. I think so. That's a good question. Yeah, I think. I mean, you know, it's not going to be. Oh, I think we lost our. Uh, yeah. Where's the uh, Where's the uh, wet ball drills? I know. That's what I said to Ryan on the podcast. It, they didn't do that this week. Well, we yeah. didn't see it. I mean, they could. have Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. They the might rest, have done the it the rest of the today. day on Wednesday. Today they as could well. have done it today. Yeah. I thought. It was, I guess COVID rules are still in place. I don't think they're traveling until tomorrow as far as like just shortening the trips and stuff. Um, that's an early cause, game. Because so normally that's... you would leave on Thursday for a 1230 game on Saturday. You want to get there, get you some... know, be settled. But uh, I, th- I guess it's because of COVID. I'm not sure. Get some acclimation I going. That, I think that's when they travel. I'm not positive on that either. Do you need a passport to get up there? Not really. No. <laughs> I love the Palouse. And uh, go, if you're going up there, if you're going to the game, go to the Coug. Great. Great little campus bar. It's a good one. All righty. That's going to wrap it up for the third Tunnel Vision of whoa, the Week. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We have one topic that needs. There were so many questions about Deion Sanders. I want to just go ahead and say that, no, that's a terrible idea. There's so many terrible ideas. Like, you see him scrolling by. But Joel Why? Platt threw it out. And he's like, oh, he'd be great in L.A. And, you know, he just has to hire coordinators. No. No. He needs to prove that he can win. And and Jackson State isn't you know proving that you can win to me. USC has made so many dumb hires. You cannot, you you can't go risky dumb. Like maybe he'd be the best coach ever, but you can't risk something like that. You have to get someone that's just there's more proven success there than what we've seen from Deion Sanders in two games. And can understand that you can't walk out of media day. Yeah, just don't walk out of that. (laughs) True. Alrighty, that's gonna wrap it up for this edition of Tunnel Vision. We'll be back. On Sunday for the fourth Tunnel Vision of the week, we'll break down USC's game against Washington State. Chuck and I will be back from Washington that morning. So, What do you mean we hope? What's raining? You never know. Okay, well, hopefully we'll be back. That's scary now. I might get hypothermia or something. (laughs) Okay, that's going to wrap it up. That's Chuck that's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all on Sunday. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.